Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. You know, today I'm going to talk to us about passing an on our faith to the next generation. And it's really a mandate from God as fathers. I, I know today, being a dad, the greatest role that I have in my place and station of life is not about what I can get, but what I can do to empower other people, but also my own kids to become the champions that God has created them to be. I've lived my life for this, to, to see my kids, to see them become everything that God has designed and destined them to be. And the fact is, every dad in this room, we have a mandate from God. We have a mandate from God that our ceiling will become the floor for our children for the next generation. Amen? And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing our series on Peter, a living hope. Peter, a living hope. And this has been a great book. We were, at this point, supposed to be into chapter 3, and we're still in chapter 1. That's what happens when uh, you get a preacher that likes to preach. And so we're just going verse by verse. And we've been breaking it down verse by verse. And today we're going to start at verse number 10. And we're going to read verses 10 through 17. So as we do here at City Church, in the honor of reading God's Word, it's very biblical. They did it in the Old Testament. They always stood. Jesus, when he stood, he stood in the temple and he opened the scroll and he read it. It's a biblical thing. We don't just do this because it's a ritual or some kind of mandate. It's a, it's a biblical pattern that the Christians and God followers have been doing for 4,000 years. And so we are, we are standing in the honor of reading God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse number 10. And the Bible says, concerning this salvation. Now, we've been on this theme salvation now for four weeks. And and so when are we going to get off salvation? Well, what, we're going to get off salvation when we get it, when we get how glorious and grand and amazing. And Peter is going to help us to get that today. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Everyone say, be holy. For it is written, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. This morning I want to talk to you about passing on our faith, passing on our faith a father's mandate. We're going to pray for every dad. If you are a father in this room, uh, or a grandfather, but if you're a father today, I just want you to lift your hand. Good. We just acknowledge all the fathers here. All right, there's a lot of dads here today. Hey, Quintus, leave your hands up. And the person that's around you, standing next to you, close to you, they're just going to place their hand on your shoulder. And I'm going to pray a special blessing over all the fathers in the room today. Can I do that today? Man, I just want to bless you. Father, I uh, thank you today for every dad that's in this room. 
I thank you that your grace is upon their life. I, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity they've had, Lord, to bring children into this world. That was your plan. You destined those children, and you used them. I thank you, Lord, for the influence that they have upon their kids and their grandkids. And I pray a special blessing, the Father's blessing, because you're a good God. And you give good gifts to your children. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of leadership and mentorship that's in them. Thank you for the gift of provision and strength. And, Father, I pray that you'll bring healing to those who need healing today. I pray that you'll give restoration to those who need restoration. We thank you that you're the God that is working on our behalf, that you're not finished with us. You're still working for us. I bless the dads in this house. Now, for every person in this room, I pray that you'll give them an ear to hear. God, I need a mouth to speak. I can't do this without you. I'm totally dependent upon you today. Now, Jesus, we ask this in your mighty and your powerful name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. My wife and I were uh, returning a Mother's Day gift. I, I have a special gift. It's called, I can't quite seem to get the right clothes for my wife when I go shopping. I generally just give up and I just let her pick whatever up. But I thought, you know, Mother's Day, I'm going to try to get it right this time. And I'm in a store down in Longwood and they got this really cute dress. At least I thought it was cute and, and it looked cute to me. I thought kind of the colors she likes, I think. And the lady helped me pick out some jewelry. And so I bought it for my wife and I gave it to her to Mother's Day. And uh, it was nice. It just didn't fit. <laughs> so I, I, I'm like zero for 10 now, right? I mean, it just doesn't seem to quite work, and so anyway, so we decided, she decided, we met for lunch down in Longwood, and she decided to take it back to the store, and so uh, we're walking to this store, it's a women's boutique, and, and uh, you know, she's looking through all the different dresses and stuff, and I come across this sign, the sign actually says this, it says, some people don't believe in heroes, but they haven't met my dad, some people don't believe, in I thought, wow, that's interesting. But there's some people in this room, I think there's like three kinds of people. There's people who've had really great dads. They've been spiritual leaders in the home. They, they love their kids. They love their wives. They weren't perfect, but man, they really tried to put God first, honor him with their life. And, and there are people in this room that have had a great, great life with their dad. Their dad's been a great mentor, a great encouragement. And, and, but the fact is there are other people in this room. You might have had a dad in the home, but it was painful. A lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt. Your dad's own pain, his own brokenness spilled over into your life and your experiences, and it left scars, it left marks on your life, and it's been really challenging because every single one of us have this desire to have this perfect dad. We want a superhero for a dad. It's why there's all these action movies out there, right? They're all like this superhero figure. Most popular movie in the world right now is not about a dad, it's about a woman, Wonder Woman. We thank God for Mom Sue, amen? We're grateful for Wonder My mom was a Wonder Woman. My wife's a Wonder Woman. We thank God. But what's happened in our culture, and then the third kind of person, I, should, I don't want to forget that, just didn't have a dad. One quarter, 25% of kids in America today don't have a father in the home. It's a statistical fact. And the challenges that come with that, they're great challenges with single moms. And we, the Bible says pure religion before God is to take care of single moms and widows and orphans. And we have a heart for the single mom. But I, I, I want to speak to this generation because what's happened is that the role of the woman and, and the, the strength of a woman has been, has been elevated and it's been celebrated in our popular culture today. But at the same time, which we're all for, man, we believe God's created man and women in his sight. Women have giftings and abilities and talents. That's why we use them in our ministries and worship and singing and leading because we believe that. But at the same time, our culture then is demasculated and de-emphasize the role of strong dads. 
And the fact is today, the fact is today, without strong dads in the home and in culture, we got a very broken society. And it's, it's, I'm not making this up. It's a fact. It's a statistical fact. God said it in the beginning. It's why there's always been an attack on the home. So there's always been an attack of the, on the home because the, the, the Satan knows that the family is the foundation of culture and society. Satan knows that it's the foundation. A strong family is the foundation of a healthy, successful culture and society. So strong attacks against the home, strong attacks against marriage, strong attacks against dad, all this confusion about gender identity and all this other kind of stuff that's just sweeping across our culture because people are confused about really the roles. The roles, but God did create men and women. God, create men, God created men with specific responsibilities. And as a dad today, we got two challenges. As I went through Peter, I really, as I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to feel, okay, God, what are you saying to the men of this church? What are you saying to us today as dads? And there's two things that I believe that Peter is saying to us. First of all, as a dad, we have a responsibility to share our faith. We have a, and we're going to look at these guys. We're going to break down the text here. We're going to look at these people of old that God used. We're going to see how they shared the faith with their family and with their generation. And then we also have a responsibility to live it. So first, let's dive in here and let's look at this responsibility that we have to share our faith. Number one. Or, or share faith, verse number 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. Now, we're still on salvation here. I mean, Peter, just he's trying to emphasize to them that, that listen, guys, he, he, this thing that God has done in your life, the reason that you're serving God, Last week, we talked about the purpose of pain, and, and Peter talks about suffering and the right response to suffering and understanding what God is doing it. And Peter's saying, listen, God is always using. God is using the problems and the pains of life because he has a greater good. He has a greater good for you and a greater good for me. And then Peter says, listen, now concerning this salvation, this work of deliverance, it's, it's literally a, the, one of the definitions is a deliverance from the enemy's molestation of our soul, the setting free from sin, the breaking of Satan's bonds, salvation, the most beautiful word on planet earth. The word has so much complexity and depth into its meaning that you could write volumes of book and, books and still never fill this room. The greatest minds of human history have tried to comprehend it. And at the same time, it's simple enough that a little child, when he's presented with the truth of the gospel and has the cognitive ability to understand that Jesus loves him, can receive God's free grace of salvation. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And then I want you to see the Bible says that these men of old, they spoke the truth to their generation. Concerning this generation, the prophets who prophesied of this grace. They spoke of this grace. They talked about the grace of God. Now here's a challenge with the Old Testament guys. They were still living under another system. They were living under an Old Testament law system. A system based on what they did a system based on obeying rules. There were 613 laws that the Old Testament Jew would have to obey if they really were going to try to please God. There were, the emphasis on obedience to the law was the law of the Lord. David said in Psalms 119, the law of the Lord is perfect, delight in the soul. The law of the Lord is beautiful. And so they, they were living under a different system, and they prophesied of this coming grace. 
These men of old didn't have the same opportunity that you and I have today to experience salvation. Because today when we experience salvation, God doesn't just come upon us. The Holy Spirit now lives and dwells in us. They spoke boldly of it. They declared that this grace that was going to come of this person, this revelation of this person, the Messiah, would be their deliverer and be their hope. And they spoke with intensity. They prophesied things that they did not see as though they were. They spoke those things that were not as though they were because they believed in the coming hope of God's salvation. It was their hope. Isaiah prophesied of this Messiah that he would be born of a virgin. He'd be rejected by mankind. He'd be beaten for our sins. He'd be broken, battered, and bruised. And he would do it so that you and I could experience salvation. Isaiah said that this Messiah would bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted and set the captives free. Jeremiah spoke to his generation that this Messiah, this deliverer, would come from the son of David. He would come from the son of David. David, the greatest king that represented Israel, was a type of Christ in his generation. He was a deliverer, but there would be one who was greater than David. There would be one that was greater than Moses. Jeremiah prophesied that he would be the Messiah who was both God and man. And he would be born of a virgin as well. And that he would establish a new covenant, a new way of living. The prophet Ezekiel said that this Messiah would come. And he would take this heart of stone and he would turn it into a heart of flesh. No longer would God's laws just be written on a page. In the Torah, the laws of God would now be written upon the hearts of men. God's spirit would come and indwell. Zechariah said that this Messiah would be a suffering servant. He came the first time as a suffering servant, but he returns again. He'll come as a conquering king. This prophet, these prophets declared the truth of this grace, this marvelous truth of the gospel. It's good news to those who are perishing, to those who recognize their need who can't do this on their own, and they boldly proclaimed it. And as dads today, we have a responsibility to tell the truth of the gospel to our kids, to our grandkids, and to this generation. It's not enough to leave it to the preacher boys. It's not enough to leave it to the youth pastor or your children's uh, workers. Dads, men, we have a responsibility to tell this generation about the marvelous grace of God. Amen. greatest joy that you can have as a dad is to see your child come to Christ. The greatest joy that you can have as a father is to see your kids imparted by the gospel, impacted, to see your grandkids. Ephesians says, and even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that we've been saved. These men of old They spoke it. They also searched diligently. Look at verse number 10. Having inquired and searched diligently, they wanted to know it. They they wanted to know it. They wanted to understand it. They didn't have a full revelation. Because the fact is the Holy Spirit at that time would come upon them. He wasn't dwelling and living within them. He gave gifts to men. He anointed the son to be a prophet, son to be, son to be priests, son to be kings, to do acts of service. Men were anointed with skill. People played music, music, musical instruments under God's spirit and anointing. 
People built buildings under the power of the Spirit. People conquered, conquered the armies of their enemies under the Spirit's power. But it was the Holy Spirit coming upon them. They were looking. They were searching to understand this grace that would transform their hearts that the, that the prophet Ezekiel spoke about. Acts chapter 17 says the Berean Jews were more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received this message, the message of grace, with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. Noble dads read their Bibles. Noble dads seek to search out the scriptures on how they should live their life. One of the great challenges for men, for most men, is we don't naturally like to read. There are guys that are readers, but, but statistics tell us that 75% of men, 75% of men that graduate university never pick up a book again to, and complete it after they finish school. We're just, we're doers. We want stuff to happen. We want action. Action movies, action in life. Build. Make things, make things happen. I want to challenge the men of this church today. I want to challenge you today. Be a noble man. Be like these Jewish Christians in Berea who were more noble than the Thessalonica. See, men who know their Bibles, men who know their truth, will keep themselves from making bad choices in relationships, will keep themselves from making bad choices in the job, will keep themselves from making bad decisions in their relationship with their spouse and with their kids. And I challenge you today to be like these men of old. They search diligently. They inquire to the scripture. What does the scripture say? And then it says they were supernaturally empowered. Verse number 11. Trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. These men modeled for us. And they're modeling for me today, and they're modeling for you today, passing on the next generation. We can't do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit's power within us. You see, the beautiful revelation that God has given to us is that the Father's Father who sits in heaven is a good Father, the creator and the maker of all. He gave his only Son, his Son Jesus, Messiah, Yeshua, the great I Am, the bread of life, the Lamb of God he gave his one and only Son who lived a sinless, perfect life. And he that knew no sin became our sin and took it upon him and died on Calvary's tree. But before Christ died, the last week of his life, he said, listen, guys, I'm not going to leave you alone. I know I'm physically with you now, but I'm not always going to be with you. I'm going to give you my spirit. The same spirit that anointed me to preach the gospel. The same spirit that enabled me to open blinded eyes. The, the same spirit that gave me the power to heal the sick. I'm going to give you that same spirit. He's going to come. and My spirit's going to live in you. And Jesus died on the cross. The third day he was rose from the dead. In the book of Acts, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came and he empowered them. And the empowering the empowering moment where the Spirit of God dwelled and lived inside of them. Paul the Apostle says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? You're the place that God dwells. It's why this glorious hope of salvation is so beautiful. God doesn't just live out there. He's not the great big God in the sky. He's not some mythological pie-in-the-sky figure. 
He's a God who made and spoke everything to existence and now lives inside of us and he empowered these men. And now he comes and lives inside of you and I. Why do they do this? Why were they so bold to speak to their generation? Look at verse number 12 with me. The Bible says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but they were serving us. They were serving you. They had a greater mandate. They had a greater mission than just living for their own pleasures, for their own desires, for their own success, for their own hope. They had a greater mandate. Men in this room, we have a greater mandate than just us succeeding. We have a mandate to help the next generation succeed in their faith. We have a mandate to help the next generation to succeed in their marriages. We have a mandate from heaven to help the next generation succeed in raising their children. We have a mandate from heaven to help the next generation succeed in their jobs. Oh, that same. They were not serving themselves. I live, I live at this point in my life. I'm 54 years of age, and I realize the responsibility that I have for my boys for my family, and your family as well, but for my family, that my ceiling, how far I go in this life, should become the floor for the next generation. Every man in this room, I want you to begin to see your life differently. I, I, don't, I know you got hurt. I know you got, we all got it. But I want you to begin to turn the focus of your life. Why am I here? What is my mission? My mission in life was not just to serve myself, God said the greatest in this life will become servant of all. Jesus said that. We are serving the next generation. When they spoke of the things that have now been told to you. Read that verse up for me, please. When they spoke of the things that have now been told. Verse number 12. Let's put it back. Oh, there you go. Okay. Told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven. We see the, uh, the prophets proclaimed it and they searched. But the apostles the apostles proclaimed this good news. They proclaimed this message of hope. You remember right back in the very first verse, Peter talks about those who were sent, those who were scattered, the dispersia. The apostles were ones who were sent to tell others about the revelation of Jesus, who were sent to tell others about the message that God had sent from heaven. These men... These men had a mandate by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were commissioned. They were commissioned of God to share this message of grace with the next generation. Men in this room, we have a mandate. We have a mandate to our kids. We're not responsible for the decisions that our kids make, but we have a mandate to share with them. Look at verse, the end of part, verse number 12. It says, things which the angels desire to look into. This is how majestic this is how amazing grace truly is. Whew. The angels who will never know salvation. See, there's only two kinds of angels. There are the angels that are on God's side and the angels that were kicked out of heaven because they allowed pride to enter into their heart along with Lucifer. And the Bible says that one-third of the angels in one moment, because of their rebellion, because of their pride, because of their insolence, believing that they could do it without God. They were instantly removed with never another chance. They can't understand grace. The Bible says they're searching. It's like they're looking over. They're looking over the grandstand of heaven, trying to understand this. They want it. They see the power of it. 
They see the power of grace when it transforms the housewife's life and she becomes an evangelist to her community. They see the power of this grace when it enters into a heart of a child who's full of tantrums and anger and frustration. They see the power of this grace when it turns the heart of a child to say, I want to honor and obey my parents. They see the power of this grace at work in a doctor who's lived his whole career and whole life for his success and for his, his accolades and for what he can gain. When Christ comes and transforms his heart, now he recognizes his gift must be used to serve other people. He begins to provide services for free, possibly in his own community, or maybe even to other parts of the world. We see this grace so amazing that it takes a dope dealer, a drug dealer, a person, person who is living a selfish, self-destructive life and turns him into a missionary for the cause and the champion of the gospel. Come on, someone said amen. They see the work of this amazing grace in the hearts and lives. The hearts and lives of people just like us. Just like us. We must share this. The second thing that I want you to see is we must live this out. We must live this out. Look at verse number 13 with me. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Therefore, what's it there for? Why is this there? Why is he telling them this? With minds that are alert and fully sober. This speaks to the issue of the self-control. The self-control of the person that now has a spirit of God living in them. The Bible says the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. You see, self-control is the is the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace, gift of God that lives in us, that keeps us from doing irrational things. It enables us to, to keep our temper in check. It's the grace of the Holy Spirit. It's the self-control that God has empowered us with that enables us to make right choices about relationships. I thought of this concept here, this metaphor, minds that are alert and fully sober. And the Greek there, the thought is like an athlete who's in training, an athlete who's constantly in preparation. Because recognize and realize today the battlefield in your life, the battlefield in my life is the mind. The mind. Satan attacks your mind. He shoots fiery darts into your mind, lies into your mind. Oh, you know, my, my husband, he's not good. I'd be better if I had another, this relationship. Or the, whole, the, the enemy of your soul will shoot fiery darts into your mind to tell you that it's okay to fudge or cheat on your taxes. And see, the enemy battles against your mind. He shoots fiery darts, lies. He causes you to question the supremacy, the authority, and the power of God in your life and situation. And Peter says, gird up your minds. Like this, like this Old Testament figure he had in mind who would be wearing a robe, getting ready to run a race, who would pull up his, his blouse or pull up his trousers, getting ready for action. Men of God, we are called to live this out. We're, we're called to, to be prepared in our minds and our thoughts. We live out this hope with self-control. It's the active effort we put forth to resist temptation to go back to the ways of the world around us. Hear me today. Hear me today. Any man can get drunk. Any man can yell at his kids. 
Any man. Any man can cheat on the job. Any man can lie to his boss. Any man. Any man can do those things because it's the work of the flesh. But it's the Christ follower. It's the person empowered by the Holy Spirit that has this work of grace and salvation in their life that has the ability to say no, to resist the work of the flesh. And God's challenging you and I today to live out this glorious truth of the gospel. Is this easy? Absolutely not. Of course not. Uh, this last couple of weeks, I've had uh, some challenges just relationally with uh, particular individual. I have very little contact with them, but the contact that I've had with them has been just challenging to me. And uh, I get grieved in the spirit, as we say spiritually here. I get grieved, irritated, agitated. When I hear this person's name, it just kind of just puts a, anybody ever have anybody like that in your life before? Come on, let's be real. I can get real, real with you here. I want to knock them out. But I had the Holy Spirit in me, and I recognized that I, uh, it's not a right kind of thought. It's not a God thought that I'm having in that moment. And I I'm keep having to pray for this person. And what I find when God wants me to grow in an area, he puts a person into my life that just causes irritations. And that he keeps sending them back. And if I don't get it, then he sends someone else. This particular person has been causing irritation and, and, and just trying to process it and pray through it. And, and so yesterday I made a phone call. I must not be learning it because I got to practice it on somebody else. <laughs> and so yesterday, I made a phone call to a person that needed my help. And this person had been calling me this week a couple times, and so trying to help them out, trying to navigate a situation that they're going through. And so I called this individual, and there was no answer. And they really needed my help. And, and so immediately after I made the phone call, I get a text. Hey, bud, I'm at a soccer game. I'm like, hey, bud, I'm at a soccer game? Go ahead with your bad self and figure it out on your own. I mean, that's my first thought, right? Come on. True? Take the dog downstairs. I'm just kind of agitated by this individual. So two people in one week. And this thought comes to me. It is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. It's the glory to a man to overlook an offense. I thought, wow. And I knew. I mean, that just popped into my heart and mind. I knew the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. Release. Give it up. Just let God handle it. Just, you know what, God's going to take care of him. And it was amazing when I just immediately allowed that scripture, that word, to come out of my heart. I began to meditate. I began to have a different perspective. I began to have a different thought. You see, because God has called us to be different kinds of people. We're to live peculiar lives. Look at verse number 14 with me this morning. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. See, God sees you not the way that you see you. You see yourself so many times as a Christian, defeated, broken, groveling, can't do it, it's too hard. I've heard from so many. I've experienced it myself. But you know what God says? You're an obedient child. God sees you completely different than the way you see yourself because God sees you through the redemptive work and the power of the cross and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, as obedient children. I believe in you. You can do this. You can live it out, men. You can do what God has created and called you to do. You can be the man of destiny, but don't live like this world. 
Don't live conforming yourself to the desires that you did, that you lived out before you knew Christ. When you were ignorant of the way of salvation, when you're ignorant of the power of the Holy Spirit, don't make those kinds of choices. Don't do that. Now, here's this tension that we got inside, right? We got inside at each one of us. God's putting a pretty hard standard up here. Don't conform. Then he says in verse number 15, but just as he called you as holy, he's keeping the bar high. Be holy. Be holy. The word holy has two concepts in the Greek. It's, the word is hagios in the Greek, and it, it literally means an otherness, beyond, a cut above. It's uh, the holiness that God is beyond our human imagination and description. We have never experienced it, or we've never fully seen the holiness of God in all of his glory. The Bible says that no man can see God and live. Because, see, the holiness and the otherness of God is completely absent and free from sin. The taint of sin, the smell of sin, the burnt of sin. Can't see it. There's a holiness to God. There's a reverence, a fear. He's not the great, he's not the Santa Claus in the sky. He's not the big man upstairs. No, 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 no. No, he's a holy. Come on, everyone say that with me. He is a holy God. He's holy. So be just as you call, for it is written. Look at verse number 16. For it is written. Verse number 16. <laughs> for it is written. You're going to get one more verse here. You're going to get it. I believe in you. I believe in the. Can we give the tech team a great big hand in the back? Be holy, verse number 16. Be holy as I am holy. Be holy. It was written. God wrote these things. These things, Paul the Apostle said, these things about the lives of men and women of old, they were written as an example to you and I. The requirement of God for your life and my life is to be holy. And you're saying, God, I can't. And God's saying, you're right. You're absolutely right. You can't. You can't on your own. You can't live the kind of life that God has asked you to live because this is not a, a beat-em-up dad Sunday. This is a believe in dad, that the blessing of the Father rests upon their life and the grace of God enables us to do everything that God has called us to do and to be. But God does want us to live different. God wants us to make different choices. But God has empowered us by his spirit to do it. Romans 7, Paul says, I am a wretched man. But Romans 8, Paul says, you know what? I'm not going to stay in the wretchedness. I'm going to walk out. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but live according to a life of the Spirit. And that same Spirit that raised Christ, the same Spirit that empowered the apostles, empowered the prophets, the same Spirit of God lives and dwells in you. So there's this internal, internal battle. Because what God is working in us, this process, we call sanctification. A couple of months ago, we spent four, five weeks on the gospel. We, we talked about justification and glorification and sanctification. And the concept of sanctification is that we are, we are sanctified when we accept Christ. We are being sanctified. That's where we are right now. That's why you have this continual progressive thing going on. You got this process going on. You got part of you that wants to obey God, and you find another part of you being pulled away to do your own thing. And then you got the completion of sanctification. 
And that completion of sanctification takes place when you breathe your last breath and you enter into the presence of God Almighty Himself, into His holy presence. So God is working in each of our lives. What I want to tell you today, men, don't quit. Say, well, man, I messed up with my kids. My kids don't love me. My kids are frustrated, angry. I got lots of broken. I said, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't stop. I want to give you three things, men. I want to challenge you with this as we get ready to leave today. First of all, you got to reset yourself in God's word daily. Psalms 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I want to challenge men again. Man, five minutes. Some of you guys do way more than that. Some of you guys have the Bible on your phone and you're always reading the scripture. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge them and give God. Download an app. If you've never downloaded an app, it's you go to your app store. It's you version. Pick up a Bible. I want to challenge you. Five minutes a day, give God and his word. Second thing, rely on God's spirit in you to empower you to say yes to God and no to sin. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because you belong to him and the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. <sighs> rely. Reset yourself. Rely. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Learn to listen to his voice. Learn to talk to him. <sighs> and rebound. You messed up. You failed. You know what? Get back up. We just watched. One of the greatest displays of NBA proudness I've ever seen. Golden State crushed Cleveland. They crushed them. Now, listen, LeBron played stellar. He was amazing, but it wasn't enough for one man to get the job done. I was thinking about, as I was watching the games, what I've noticed in basketball is the team that generally gets the most rebounds wins the game. There's something about going after it. There's something about pressing in. There's something about fighting for it. There's something about just going, going for God. There's something about getting back up. Don't quit. It's the great theme of my life. I've fallen plenty of times, but I've learned this one thing about God is that God never gives up on you. So don't give up on the God that lives in you. There's a living hope. We can tell, we can share with our family and kids. One of the greatest testimonies of your life is when you admit to your child that you messed up, that you've made mistakes. Guys, I haven't done it perfectly. Plenty of times I've had to ask my kids to forgive me. Plenty of times I've had to tell them, man, your dad isn't a perfect dad. But inside of every person, inside of every one of us in this room, we're looking for a superhero. I mean, we're looking for a dad that can wipe away every tear, a dad that can fix every financial need. We're all looking for a superhero in our life. And we're looking for this person. We're looking for this person to, to applaud and celebrate our skills. From the time you're a little child, you draw your first picture. Man, you got it all colored all over. Dad, look at this picture. It's you. you like, that looks like a glob of a mountain on the side of a hill. But they want to show you. Why? Because inside of us, there's a desire to know a superhero. And if you want to be a superhero to the next generation, 
If you want to be a hero to the next generation, to your family, to your grandkids, let me tell you, do this. Don't try to be the superhero because there's only one superhero. There's only one person who's the superhero for all humanity. And I want you to know who my superhero is. My superhero today, come on, Jesus is my superhero. Jesus. You point them. And the way that we point our kids is by telling and by living it out. Walking out this glorious work that God has done in us. You're never going to reach perfection in this life. You're never going to do it. You're never going to attain it. You're not going to do it all right, but you got grace. The grace of God is upon your life to finish strong.